0: You want to be honest? Okay, good. Let's be honest. I let you have the ideas. What? Yeah, I let you have the ideas, so you won't feel so bad that I'm cuter. You are not cuter, Michelle. I am so cuter. It's like common knowledge, Romy. Everybody thinks so. I'm the Mary and you're the Rhoda. That's ridiculous. You're the rhoda. You're the Jewish one. my God. I'm talking cuteness-wise, Romy, okay? And cuteness-wise, I'm the Mary. That's crazy. You have absolutely no proof that you're cuter. Oh, proof? You want proof? Okay, fine. Who lost their virginity first? Oh, big wow with your cousin Barry. I wouldn't brag about it.
1: Welcome to part two of our Romeo and Michelle episode. But before we get to real talk, I was going to take advantage of the fact that Stu had to go take a potty break. And in the meantime, we're going to do a little PP ourselves. That's our patron pitch. This is where <laughs> we let our patrons know what they can expect on our exclusive patron feed. And also, we let non patrons know what they're missing out on. This is Alex, the middle of June. That means that we are full on the the craziness that is the quick video reviews requested slash demanded by patron Brandon Curtis. Yes. That means that patrons can go to our exclusive patron page and check out a quick video review for the superhero movie Middle Morali, done by me, and a quick video review of the sci-fi epic 2.0, done by you. And Alex, I don't want to spoil anything, but I... I'll just say that that's probably the funniest quick video review we've posted yet, <laughs> and I don't want to spoil it for Brandon or for any other patrons, but uh, just seeing Alex trying yeah, to grasp. To say, I don't know
2: how I like. I wasn't trying to be funny. Like it wasn't like Contrarian's Corner. Where I was trying to. So that makes me laugh because like everything you've seen that is just complete genuine emotion that came from watching that fucking movie. So that that's awesome.
1: Yeah, well, there's there's that for patrons. Uh, also, keeping, uh, I mean, as you would expect from Brandon, keeping us on the on the Indian cinema path. Our patron exclusive episode for this month is on the movie Banshee, uh, Another step on the journey to Singham Three. And if you've been following along on <laughs> our patron channel, you know exactly what that means. Uh, if not, don't worry. You can you can just jump in uh, and listen. To uh, what we had to say. You can catch up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that it's it's very likely that our Soryavanchi episode might inspire you to go back and, if not watch Singham, Singham Returns, and Simba, at least check out the reviews we did for those movies on our Patreon channel. So I think it's a win win for everybody involved. Uh, also, yeah, Leo,
2: it, it, I must correct you. It's not just Soryavanchi, it's Soryavanchi.
1: <laughs> yes. I I don't have the pipes for that. I don't have the the intonation. It, you you got it. You nailed it. I can barely do the Singham theme. So, um, <laughs> speaking of journeys, we're also uh, in past the midway point on our Rock Cena journey. So part four uh, should be up soon, and that is the one about the match. Just to keep with the with the friends theme, like that'll be titled part four, the one about the match. It's The Rock versus John Cena, and it doesn't go the way I thought.
2: (laughs) And it also is a recap of WrestleMania 28 in which Julio finds out for the first time Maria Minutos participated regularly in the WWE for a while, which uh, editing was so much fun because like, when I got to the point in that, I just tried to roll past it, and I'm like, "Uh, Maria Minutos and Kelly Kelly, and then it takes you a second to register, and you're like, "Wait, wait, 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 back up. Which Maria
1: Menuno's? It's like Phoebe, you know, she has her twin. There's a Marina Menunos that's in movie theaters, and then there's a Marina Menunos that's in the ring. The porn star. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course we're gonna have Contrarian's after hours. <laughs> It's a French Travaganza After Hours, so it's uh, Lisa Kudrow-related After Hours. We're going to go with not quite a Lisa Kudrow vehicle, but it's a movie that has a very uh, important role for Lisa Kudrow. We're going to do E.C.A., the Emma Stone high school movie that uh, I think does a good job of showing a, a different side of Lisa Kudrow, not just Phoebe.
2: Yeah, I was about to say, when you listen to the episode, you, you'll you understand emphatically why it was part of it. Because we go, I mean, just as the teaser, it's the one performance of all the Friends actors we've been through so far that is the most removed from their, uh, you know, their Friends character and shows the most, I guess, range or potential.
1: Yeah, so Lisa Kudrow winning the Friends Travaganza so far. So if any of that sounds interesting... Well you know what to do. Go to patreon.com slash contrarian prime, check out our tiers, see if you'd like to join the contrarian supplements.
2: One dollar, three dollars, five dollars, and ten dollars. We have our respective tiers. One dollar gets you in on the ground floor. Just head on over there, throw us a buck, check it out, see what it is you like, and then you know, check out the other tiers, because who knows, there may be some movie that We've never heard of, you know, Curtis keeps throwing these things at us. We're just like, holy shit. And our other patrons also continue to throw things at us that we never would have thought of or never heard of or never, you know, had come across our minds to watch. And it's one of the more rewarding parts about what we do. And you can also message us. We are the contrarians at gmail.com. If you check out our patron and there's something there that you're just like, what the fuck is this? I don't want any more of this. Or, hey, this is awesome. Give me more of this to all of our current and existing patrons. We love y'all. Oh, so much. And we continue to accept applications for any and all new ones. So check it out. Let us know what you think. And we will continue to provide the goods to the patrons that are out there. So, Julio, I would hope now that our guest has returned from the restroom. Otherwise, we may be dealing with some kidney or bowel issues. So uh, I hope it's time to proceed with real talk.
1: Yes. I
2: guess I am successful. But no matter how much I accumulate, there's still one thing I just don't have.
0: Your own country?
2: I don't have you, Michelle.
0: Will you dance with me?
1: Only if Romy can dance with us. Welcome back, Stu.
0: Hey, how's it going? Time to talk Romy and Michelle again.
1: Yes, the the real part of uh, the real talk
0: segment. Yes. I have to say, uh, having done this show for the first time, I listen to you guys all the time. Julio, you know that I always listen to your show and imagine if I had to watch a movie and just pick out the exact opposite of what I'm supposed to, you know, quote unquote, feel about a movie. How would it impact how I felt about this movie? And I think it did to a degree in watching this. I think having to watch it through a certain lens might have changed how I feel about it
2: it happens like that's one of the things when Hooli and i started this i i can't even go back and listen to like our first 20 or 30 episodes just because like the audio quality and you know when you do this long enough you become such a perfectionist at it that like old shit drives you nuts but mm-hmm. i do remember when we did those earlier episodes it was so like ha ha haha, ha-ha. <laughs> and then the more we got into it there are movies we've watched where we're just like well i can't unsee this now and i can't you know unknow what i know about it or uh, watching it through this lens does make this problematic, like that type of shit. So that's a real thing, what you're describing. I think Hulu and I have had that with numerous movies.
1: I think that it also kind of, it, it's a, a stronger test for the movie. I think that Correct. You know, if you can look at it uh, a little more critically than you normally would, and then at the end of the day, you can come out of it and say, well, it has these flaws, but I still like it. Uh well, that's good for the movie. I mean, it's. I think it's a fair assessment. Or you may come out of it saying, uh, yeah, I don't like it, but at least I can articulate why I don't like it. Then that's also a win in a way. Um, it's
2: also works conversely where we found something like positive in Elizabeth uh, Elizabethtown is a great example. We're just like, <laughs> really? yep. there's good shit in this movie. <laughs> like you can't, yeah, there's some really bad stuff in it, but like there's some things that carry it and make it memorable, so. It, it goes both ways. Uh, I guess my main thing is I'm so glad to hear you say that because that's kind of
0: what our whole mission statement is here. It um, does make it curious for this, though.
1: Uh,
0: <laughs> I will say after listening to your Showgirls episode, I haven't done it yet. It's done nothing but make me want to rewatch Showgirls because I remember listening oh, no, to oh, Contrarian's no. Corner and Julio was so committed to your show. I was just like, oh, shit, Julio really likes this movie. <laughs> And then obviously he did not. But <laughs> yeah, I think that might be like the 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 bottom of the barrel. I don't know.
2: It's because of again, the bottom. Yeah, there, the we've barrels? done some bad movies, but not any that are that there's some v- very troubling elements to that movie that are presented with just like absolute, you know, laissez-faire that just not good. <laughs> Elizabeth Berkeley is no uh Mira Servino. let me tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> what's the name of this guy
1: because this guy is no pulver hoven either oh and that's uh, a good thing (laughs) david merkin yeah Yeah, david merkin
2: the yeah he wrote deep space homer wrote the man who became dinner which is from the 26th season so that's way out of my wheelhouse oh yeah and then um he directed the live action segment of treehouse of horror 6 was that 3d homer yeah or homer cubed excuse me so david merkin Mira Servino, Lisa Kudrow, and as I mentioned, the screenplay by uh, Robin Schiff. This was April 25th, 1997, budget of $20 million, a box office return of a hair under $30 million. So didn't set the box office world on fire. As a matter of fact, it finished number two at the box office, finishing behind Volcano, starring oh, Tommy Lee Jones and Anne Heche.
1: <laughs> Kudrow V. Jones. The winner was inevitable.
2: In the United States, it was released the same month as Gross Point Blank, another 80s-themed high school reunion film that Disney was involved in. Uh, The main thing with this, the main takeaway, yes, it barely recouped its budget, but has gone on to have legitimate cult classic status. And that is where I'm coming into it, because I remember this movie coming out, because I remember seeing the TV spots and shit for it again. I was 10 years old. But I remember by the time... You know, I was old enough to, like, drive to Blockbuster uh, and rent movies myself when I was 16, 17. I remember this movie already having kind of this mythos around it, and that's the whole reason I watched it the first time. Uh, We'll get to how I felt then versus now, but before we do, Julio, critics, generally favorable towards this movie, but uh, that's what you've got for us. What are they saying?
1: So, Alex, I, I sidestepped the Rotten Tomatoes critics because most of the links were to—they didn't have any quotes—and uh, and the ones that were still there were not that interesting. So, so this is a letterboxed roundup, as, as we like to do every now and then. And there are some people in Letterboxd that really hate this movie. So here's four quotes from four different Letterboxd users, uh, starting with Alice, who gave it half a star. And says, the only scene that made this film worth watching was when Lisa Kudrow flew into the air. Just <laughs> talking about when she was hit by a, <laughs> by a car, by a limousine. Uh, Lauren 98 also gives it half a star. This is a rewatch. So Lauren 98, a glutton for punishment. She says, I managed to persevere through the whole thing. And that three-person dance scene at the end was my punishment. I hate movies where middle-aged people play their teen selves in flashbacks, but I hate this one more than most. Go back to Greenwich Village, Phoebe Buffet, and tell your friend to stay away from Fun Bobby. Fun Bobby!
2: <laughs> Have you considered that people playing themselves in high school flashbacks is fucking hilarious? Have you considered <laughs> that?
0: Yeah, how is that your problem? Like, it's not <laughs> ideal, but... <laughs> It's fine. It's not the, the worst problem I find in cinema. <laughs> uh,
1: Zach Searles gives it half a star and says, Here we're given two characters who think they're hot shit, and we're given no reason as to why they should think that. So in scenes where you should feel bad for them, I don't because they're awful people. Are they awful people? I didn't think so. No. Uh,
0: just that scene where Michelle was job hunting, I really didn't like her there.
1: <laughs> yeah, And I yeah. guess she's, she's kind of mean to uh, Alan Cumming at, you know, early on. Yeah. But. But that's just, you know, she was a team. Everybody's mean. With I just chalk that
2: up to them being daft more than being bad people. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, and we're gonna close with that uh, Jerry Fartzia. <laughs> <laughs> what, gives what, it, what an uh, unfortunate name. Gives it one star says, watching this movie and knowing it's a favorite of people I like was very hard on my brain. It was so confusingly and funny, it made me question whether, in fact, my comedy intake was broken. But then the dream sequence that makes up a quarter of the film ended, and I realized nostalgia is more important than art. The fact that Mia Sorvino didn't win a Razzie proves that Arthur P. Rassenhaus' ceremony has lost all meaning. If oh, there was fuck a- off. <laughs> yep. If there was a VHS of this in front of me, I would spit on it. Oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> Overreacting, for Teach one... Teach that
0: VHS a lesson.
1: <laughs> also, I did not... Is he making up the Arthur P. Rassenhaus thing? <laughs> or, or is that really the creator of the Razzies? Doesn't sound real. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like it. <laughs> uh But yeah, that's... It, I think these are all overreactions, but of course...
0: in no reality does uh mira sorvino deserve a razzie for this she is the star of this movie
1: yes i agree i agree that i think we can all agree on like if you
0: said lisa kudrow i still wouldn't agree with you but i would understand but sorvino why
1: uh all right well alex should we set the table as far as where friends was before we actually delve into the movie
2: first off, for posterity, I just want to uh, call out who was in contention for the the Golden Raspberry for 1997 film. It was Demi Moore in G.I. Jane, Sandra Bullock in Speed 2 Cruise Control, Fran Drescher in The Beautician and the Beast, Lauren Holly in A Smile Like Yours and Turbulence, and Alicia Silverstone in Excessive Baggage. So, yeah, I do not agree that uh, she should have been alongside. Who won? D- me more for G.I. Jane.
0: Uh,
1: Haven't seen it. But no,
0: yeah, I have no no thoughts on it. I've never seen it, yeah. It became culturally relevant again this year to everyone's <laughs> chagrin. I was about to say, it's not like it's been culturally topical recently <laughs> or anything. Uh,
2: one thing that I was very bummed out to hear, find out about when, I just wanted to get this out of the way early. One of the things I was really bummed out to read about in my research of this was the reason Mira Sorvino... Didn't have a more prominent career in Hollywood, and that was because Harvey Weinstein went out of his way to blacklist her after she denied his advances. Oh, uh,
1: That's fortunately
2: justice and karma caught up to that motherfucker. Right? So <laughs> at least there's that. Uh, yeah, might as well because I think. Similarly to uh, Almost Heroes, where I completely bogarted that discussion and turned it into Chris Farley talk, Uh, might as well go ahead and talk about where Phoebe was, because there's a lot of different ways this discussion can go. On April 24th of 1997, the night before the release of Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion, uh, that was the premiere of The One with the Screamer, Rachel dates Tommy, Ben Stiller, an aggressive bully who terrorizes anyone crossing him. That's so fucking perfect because you were just t- calling out in the first half about how he's like the the loser that gets picked on. Uh, when only Ross observes his bad behavior, everyone else claims he is just jealous over Rachel. But Tommy eventually cannot hide his true self, and the group finally sees Tommy's true character when he screams back at the chick and the duck. Oh, the is that the pets that Joey and Chandler have? Yep. Okay. Joey and Kate part when she gets an acting job in Los Angeles using Monica's phone. Phoebe is on hold for days, waiting to speak to a company before her warranty expires, unaware that it is not a toll-free 800 number. That is like the most (laughs) 90s-ass plot shit I've ever heard right there. But of course, it's Friends, so the question must be asked how many people watched it. And it was 22.63 million, bringing in a Nielsen rating of 11.9 Oof. not yet to the staggering highs that they would achieve but impressive
0: nonetheless i'm so. sure alex can somewhat empathize with this the only thing i know about nielsen ratings is what raw and nitro did in the 90s so <laughs> i know 11 is much higher than they did so it's it sounds enormous to me i believe the highest rating
2: wb ever achieved was it was like a 9.2 for a steve austin undertaker title match on monday night raw uh, that translates yeah, to a hell like 20 million people ridiculous anyway <laughs> used to be better etc etc all right so <laughs> Stu, we always uh, our thing with the friend stravaganza has been joking about uh these movies and knowing that every commercial break the night before these movies came out tv spots were inserted for these movies so you know scream 2 almost heroes lost in space i imagine lost in space probably you know took up more of the time they got like the 45 second tv ads whereas romeo michelle's high school reunion probably got i don't know 20 or something do you um, think it was
1: uh it was cut to make it look like it was more of a phoebe movie and not so much a mirror sorvino movie was it at least a kudrow centric trailer
2: yeah I, which again any clip you use of her is just phoebe so people are gonna make oh they made a movie about phoebe Uh, I have it pulled up here, so I feel a need in my heart to call out because it's probably not going to come back up again. Uh, Two weeks later was uh, (laughs) the episode where Monica dated Jon Favreau, who was attempting to be a fighter in the UFC. And this is a UFC a long-ass time before it became anything resembling a legitimate sport. And I remember he fights Tank Abbott on that show. And uh, (laughs) they had like... I don't know how the UFC landed that because that would have been in the SEG days uh, when it was literally just human cockfighting, like no rules, that type of shit. <laughs> so I have no idea how they – it was probably a thing of whoever was working on Friends saw it on pay-per-views like, look at this bullshit. We got to get this on the show. So,
1: <laughs> Do you remember how that story ends, Alex?
2: Uh, Tank Abbott like beats the shit out of him, right?
1: Right. And then Monica breaks up with him because he he wants to keep going. He wants to – pursue his dream of being an mma fighter and she's like i can't watch you do this to yourself and they part ways
2: the only thing i remember aside from what i've outlined so far is that like ross has like a comically oversized popcorn and soda because it's like a big (laughs) ufc collector's cup and I, (laughs) the fucking nerd collector in me was like god i wonder where that cup is today Uh, (laughs) all right so romey michelle's high school reunion uh was not nominated for any Razzie Awards. It was, however, nominated in 1998 for the MTV Movie Award for Best Dance Sequence. Uh, (laughs) Mir Sorvino, Lisa Kudrow, and Alan Cumming. Sadly, though, it was not to be as it lost out to Mike Myers and the London Ears from Austin Powers' The International Man of Mystery. Also nominated, Mark Wahlberg in Boogie Nights, Cameron Diaz and Ewan McGregor in A Life Less Ordinary, and Robert Carlyle, Mark Addy, William Snape, Tom Wilkinson, Steve Holson, Paul Barber, and Hugo
0: Spear in the Full Monty. Tough, tough competition for Romy and Michelle there. I can see why they didn't win.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Full Monty. They're probably a,
0: second to last, honestly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> full Monty, I mean, it got a, a Best Picture nomination, so it really, it's almost above everything else there. Uh, I really hate A lifeless Ordinary, but their musical sequence is probably the one good thing in the movie.
2: There was a, a little movie called Titanic that came out the same year as this that ended up sweeping most of the awards. Uh, and Nef Campbell <laughs> won best female performance and scream too. And then just to close out this little fun bit of trivia, because this is something he would never be able to guess who presented the best dance Sequin award. You may ask a bull. Well, of course it was Jenna Elfman and Woody Harrelson.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Were they together in a movie or was it just a random pairing?
2: Uh, I'm reading the pairings here that presented awards, and it looks just like random shit. Christina Ricci and Puff Daddy presented Best Breakthrough Performance.
0: <laughs> it's like nothing nothing was even scripted for that show. They just pulled two people that were backstage. and was like, hey, you out there now.
2: No shit. Joey Lauren Adams and Billy Zane presented Best Fight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mini Driver, Best Male Performance. God, what a time to be alive. I don't think people understand What a force 90s MTV was. (laughs) Uh, Okay. I watched this movie, as I mentioned, when I was younger, when I was 16, 17, maybe even 15, somewhere in that time frame. Uh, After hearing people talk about this, and I'm talking about like elders, like my cousins who were older, and so what they said was cool, I thought was cool. Uh, And, you know, older kids in high school, that type of shit. Um, And I watched this when I was young, back in the time frame when i thought like movies like boondock saints and natural born killers were good movies and i watched this and i was like this is so fucking stupid uh i watched it yesterday and i was like holy shit that i completely missed the tone of this movie when i was younger Um, i had such a fucking great time with this and it's so stupid but that's obviously the point and the main thing we talk well this is the way i interpret it the main point we had in the first part about like the toxicity of the 90s body shaming which was very real mind you i can't help but think it's part of the joke in this that she just looks exactly the same but they act like she was supposed to be chubby back then uh i had a great time with this i stew we'll start with you since you are our guest uh had you seen this previously and did this rewatch do anything to sway you one way or the other what are your feelings on it
0: yeah, I had actually never seen it before, and I think one of the reasons this movie probably flopped at the box office to a degree, but then ended up getting a cult following is I think this movie was marketed to the wrong people because all these years before I'd seen it, I thought Romy and Michelle were supposed to be like the A squad girls of their school. Like I thought this was marketed to those people. And then I imagine whenever the, the those those people went to see the movie, they realized like, oh, this movie's making fun of me and they didn't <laughs> like it. And so <laughs> so the the more awkward kids the more people who you know don't look back at high school favorably got wind of this movie and that's how it became a cult classic uh yeah so i think it was just marketed to the wrong people cuz i had no idea what this movie was going to be about i like i said i thought they were going to be like oh here's the popular cheerleaders and they're trying to reclaim the glory of high school but that's not what this movie is at all and yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with this too. It's it's a perfectly good '90s studio comedy. It made me laugh. It's it did exactly what it sought out to do.
2: It's uh, yeah, what you're saying is right. I think the people, the audience you're referencing, were absolutely you know satiated. What was it? Seven or eight years later, when Mean Girls came out, the movie that's about <laughs> the popular girls and that type of shit. And yeah. They definitely were because that movie made 130 million dollars, so those people (laughs) (laughs) definitely were pleased with it. But that's a that's a great call out. I think you look at the poster for this, you look at the advertising materials, and all you see is post. You see how cool they are now, and it yeah. Whereas like uh, we talked about with can't hardly wait, that's more endearing of like the the kind of outliers. I think now Julio uh we had some text back and forth i, I don't know what you're thinking man what's the <laughs> we had our our dude text back and forth about how fucking hot mira sorvino is in this but what, what oh, were she's d-
0: she's ludicrous in this movie she yep. is absurd how she looks in this movie it is one of the most attractive showings of a woman in a movie that i've seen in ages uh
1: yes it made me want to Watch all the Mira Sorvino movies that I haven't seen and rewatch the ones that I have seen. And, and not just, it's not just her looks. I think she's also the MVP here in this movie. Uh, Does she, she
0: always that, sound like this?
2: No, that's what I was about to say. It's almost like this Midwestern accent that she has going. I just, the, the last part of the movie where, uh, you know, Lisa Kudor, let's fold scarves. And She goes, okay. Just the way she <laughs> says it's so good. And, you know, not to just sound like a fucking carnal piece of shit it's the thing of how attractive she is is also how much she embraces her performance like when she's on the like elliptical bike and she's like hey michelle what does this remind you of and she's just <laughs> bouncing up and down on it it's funny and obviously uh very attractive but yeah she's great um hulu you had seen this before many many years ago was this rewatch any different for you
1: uh, yeah, I uh, but see, I think that what I missed the first time, because much like you, it changed my mind a little bit. And I remember finding it funny, uh, at least funny enough, when I watched it the first time, but then also thinking that it was kind of forgettable. And I went into it both ways. because I, I mean, I was already a fan of Lisa Kudrow from Friends, and uh, I liked Mira Sorvino from Mighty Aphrodite mostly. So I, I knew the two leads, and I had heard the buzz. I didn't watch it in theaters. <laughs> I I caught it like a, you know, DVD probably later and uh, I remember thinking it was just okay. And what I missed that time that I didn't this time is the I guess the heart of the movie, just the the friendship between Romeo and Michelle is really what I think makes it special even beyond the humor at least for me. I I really appreciated just that relationship and just the fact that, you know, yeah, they have their ups and downs. But overall, it's just kind of like a very simple story about two girls that are just there for each other. And I'm sure there's lots of movies like that. But generally, the kind of movies that I consume are about dudes that have that kind of, you know, like uh, bromances and not so much. What do you call this? A cis man's? Uh, you know (laughs) the female version of a bromance is what this movie is and uh that just made it feel very special because you have two actresses that can pull it off that's the thing they they they're just funny and they they have a good rapport and you buy it when you know they're joking with each other and you buy it when they're mad at each other but you know that they are really you know you you have those kind of fights with your friends and and then you come back and that's that's really what made it special this time around. So that's what really made it, uh, you know, the first time it was forgettable. And this time I felt it was memorable. Like I, I'm going to be thinking about this movie looking forward. It's like, oh, yeah, that's a good movie with with Phoebe. So far, easily the one in the French Travaganza that I've enjoyed the most. So that's that's a good thing. So I think that we're all kind of like on the positive side to different, you know, shades of gray probably. But But yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot.
0: The chemistry between Sorvito and Cujo is great too. Like you would buy that these two were both on friends that are so used to acting against each other that they they just play off each other really well. This whole movie, from the first scene through the last, yeah, it's not terribly often that um, the first line of the movie
2: is really funny. And it, again, it just it, it caught me completely blindsided me. I was taking a drink and I ended up choking just because, like, I <laughs> exclaimed when they pan. the shot like pans into their apartment and they're watching uh pretty woman and kudro just extremely sarcastically says oh poor thing they won't let her shop just the, like <laughs> they're just kind of watching this movie and razzing on it I, I i don't know why but that tickled me to no end uh yeah their chemistry is great and these characters, the way they're established in all these, like just kind of throwaway shots that are so perfect. The one that I really just absolutely loved was when it's panning the, uh, they're on the treadmills and it's panning all of them and it gets to them and they're just walking in high heels on them. And it's not like at any point in this movie, they really just pause the film to call out how vain and, you know, um, narcissistic these characters are. It's just every scene, even when they're working out, they're wearing like these ridiculous outfits and shit. it's, yeah, I think I just overthought it the first time I saw it. It's just, it's a lot of fun. There, there's a lot of really good comedy in it. I, I can't, I could not stop laughing at the dream sequence when Lisa is just walking around in her bra. Cause like. <laughs> she just it's almost like she keeps forgetting that she's just in her bra and then you know she'll comment oh yeah i couldn't find my shirt but just the way it's
0: like played so straight (laughs) yeah when she goes up to accept the award she says i'm sorry i lost my top it's (laughs) such a good line uh
2: and they have just kind of those ditzy moments too with the the job thing and um, one that i laughed pretty hard at was when they go to the reunion and the christy the bully tells uh, Romy I have three kids now and she's not trying to be mean she just responds wow you must feel really tied down I, I thought that was really good and uh, yeah there's it's just it's really simple and I think it is a movie that you could really easily overthink but if you don't it's just a it's an easy watch it's 90 minutes and there's a lot of really good parts to laugh at
1: um, I think that part of the charm something that I just really like this time is that it's Like, Romeo and Michelle are kind of like in the middle of the social ladder, the social pyramid in high school and and later in life, right? Because they're they're not the popular girls, but they're not the least popular girls either. They're kind of like, you know, there are people that they pick on you know inadvertently and then there are people that pick on them and that i think that you don't usually see that or at least i don't feel like i see it as often in movies usually you would either have yeah the really popular girls like mean girls or you have the the complete outcasts that are uh miserable and and just have no social uh you know they they really don't understand social cues i have a really hard time whether they're playing it for comedy or not but Romy michelle kind of like navigating that mid zone where I, I i thought it was adorable when uh michelle goes like you know i never thought that we had a bad time in high school until you brought it up you know she said something a lot of those like in her mind they had like a blast the entire time and they she never even thought that their lives were not good enough until Romy brings it up and that was uh I guess, refreshing. Again, you know, it's just like something that usually, because you, you, they're not either of the extremes and that made it uh, just a little more fun, a little more uh, interesting to hang out with them for 90 minutes. Like, I don't know that you could sustain this for any longer than 90 minutes and I think that the the, the elongated, the extra long fantasy sequence might point to that, to the fact that, you know, there's only so much you can do to keep the story going with these characters. Yeah. But but for what we got, I think they they got it just about right
0: no this is so weird i didn't know you were living in la well now that you know will we be getting together a lot
2: (laughs) janine garofalo some people's cup of tea others not i think uh use of her like this is great i she's you know obviously just supposed to be overtly bitchy in this but her like no nonsense attitude like the part where she blows the lie about the post-its is great too i can't remember the guy's name i should have wrote it down she's like i invented posters like no you didn't she's like well then who did you know john smith i went to school with him he works at 3m and you know just goes back to whatever she was doing and then there's these like cuts to her during the awards they're given out where she's just making like all these really sarcastic faces and there's one where she just lets like beer flow out of her mouth and dribble onto herself it's you know again it's a 90s style of comedy but coming from that time period it's still funny to me uh her ending up with justin thoreau in you know i don't really know how much of a purpose it serves for the movie but for the sake of saying hey have you ever seen that movie where genie garofalo and justin thoreau make out i guess it's there for that
1: <laughs> are you uh, uh i know you say that you've watched uh, the truth about cats and dogs Stu. but are, so are you a genie garofalo fan or are you more indifferent to her. Uh,
0: I I I think this movie is the perfect use of her. I definitely liked The Truth About Cats and Dogs when I saw it. I mean, I haven't seen it since I was a teenager, but I remember seeing it and, and really enjoying it. But I think this is the perfect use of her because I she's very much a caricature herself, so it's tough to make her a leading role person. Like, she is the sidekick, the smarmy person who's going to come in and make some jokes, but it's tough to get that character to carry a movie. So this is pretty much peak what you can do with janine garofalo in a movie i think they use her as well here as any film ever will
2: i would argue wet hunt american summer but that movie is basically just like a deconstruction of movies so that doesn't (laughs) really count the the other thing that i like burst out laughing at was when they were arguing and she's who lost their virginity first that was to your cousin barry (laughs) like obviously that's got some pretty dark and crude undertones to it but thought that was uh I just, yeah, I, all their scenes together, the way they bounce back and forth off each other like you called out, Stu, their chemistry is just, it's not, it's the shit you can't buy and it's, um, it's even more so because trying to act like you're kind of airheaded or unaware of your surroundings can, that's a really hard thing to pull off. And the fact that they're so convincing and as a pair together, I think that's, fairly impressive it, it it comes back to the idea of her being phoebe that's what makes phoebe like stand out if julio being a big friends person correct me if i'm wrong but she's like the most kind of spacey of the group mm-hmm. joey obviously isn't going to any mensa conventions but it's like a different <laughs> His is more of like just in a dude way of like, I'm just driven by my penis and don't really have time for other type of stuff. Whereas Phoebe's kind of spacey and out there. And like we talked about, Uh, Matthew Perry in Almost Heroes, Edwards, is just that's just Chandler. And it doesn't work at all in that movie because it doesn't suit it. And here yeah she's just Phoebe and that's one what friends people would want and two it works in the confines of the movie and then on top of that it works with the relationship we have she has with her co-star on screen so i think you know the it's a common knock to say people play the same shit in things but sometimes that works John Wayne i understand made a pretty good career off of it <laughs> but um, i think i was watching this i was like that was my immediate thing in my notes. It was like, yeah, she's just Phoebe, but I was actually enjoying the film and I'm like, yeah, that's true, but it, it totally works with what they're going for here.
1: Well, I think um, uh because we talked about the whole nine yards on on our patron as as another that's movie a good example. Where, yeah. where, you know, uh, where Matthew Perry plays Chandler and it's in a more successful way than what he did in Almost Heroes. And uh the problems that we had with with uh, the whole nine yards were not with the performance they were with just the script and the movie itself and then this is kind of like the next step where you get somebody from the cast of friends to play a character that is very similar to what they play on the show but you actually build a pretty good movie around them and then it becomes an asset so it's just a matter of knowing how to use your resources (laughs) like you have Lisa Kudrow and by the way I've seen Lisa Kudrow do other things so it's not like she can only play Phoebe. Uh, Correct. I mean her brand of humor is it definitely leans towards like the spaced out kind of characters but she could she could definitely do more but it's well you know especially at this point in time if you're making a movie with Lisa Kudrow as one of the protagonists and you want to capture that that audience from friends it makes absolute sense that you would you would kind of try to do it, uh, you know, play to her strengths uh, as far as popularity goes. You know, people want to see Phoebe when they go see a movie with Lisa Kudrow feature on the poster, at least at this, you know, at this point. But I'm curious because, too, you ranked her fourth. So did that get in the way of you enjoying the movie?
0: No, not at all, because I think I ranked her fourth because she's not one of the obnoxious characters, but she's not one of the more enjoyable characters from Friends. She is, to me, the blankest slate. I think she's the one that when she appears in something, I'm less tied down to like, oh, this is Phoebe. Because she's a very prominent character on the show, but the other characters just seem like they have more going on at any given point. Like you were talking about how she's not as dumb as the Joey character, but she's very flighty. And it always just feels like Phoebe kind of exists in her own world within friends mm-hmm. where like Billy said, we're not really sure how she relates to anybody else. <laughs> like how was she in this group and everybody else has their different things going on. And then you have this girl who is like physically intimidating, but super kind and has this tragic backstory, but is just a weird ditz. And it just feels like, there's these other five characters that perfectly exist inside the Friends verse, and then there's her, and she just kind of works playing off everybody else. So I think for something like this or just her in any movie, I'm less inclined to be like, Well, she has to fit this role. Because even in Friends, like she kind of flits about and plays a different foil to any different character based on what they need.
1: That that makes sense. And I I just for the record, I would probably rank Phoebe. Man, maybe fifth, like, above Ross. So for all the shit I've been giving you, to <laughs> See, you have her even lower! Yeah, but it's, it's not about her being bad, it's about everybody else being better. Like, as characters, mm. I just find them funnier. But, uh, Alex, are, are you ready to talk about the MVP of this movie, or, or do you want to talk about Alan Cumming? Well, let's go ahead and
2: move on to Ellen Cumming, because I think the thing that brings them all together that I, I wanted to ask y'all's thoughts on is the the dance sequence. I was watching that, and I was just like, holy shit, this is incredible. <laughs> the fact that they show up and have, like, this perfectly choreographed dance sequence, but they're, like, Alan Cumming's the only one that's, like, actually good at it, uh, you know, because <laughs> we see the dance sequences with uh, Romy and Michelle earlier, not sequences per se, but when they're at the club, they're just very, like, robotic, and they're dancing and whatnot, and so... You know, them just doing like the waving arms and stuff throughout this. I I thought that was just like the perfect payoff to it. So
0: Alan Cumming, what would you say he's most known for? I mean, to me he's most known for Nightcrawler, but at the world at large, maybe the good wife?
1: Oh, he isn't the good wife, right? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense that would be his thing now. Yeah, I mean, I think that I also think Nightcrawler, but in my mind, even I haven't seen Cabaret like I the the movie adaptation, I know that he plays, uh, the, I guess, an narrator in Cabaret. So in my mind, I'm always thinking that's what people know him from. And then I know him from Nightcrawler. Yeah. But you're right. Maybe the the good wife might have just finally overtaken. Uh, I mean, he is a, I wouldn't say he's a dad guy kind of actor, but he is kind of a respected character actor for the most part. You bring up Alan Cumming and you're like, oh yeah. He
2: owns his own bar in New York, just quick sidebar. He owns his own bar in New York City called Club Coming, uh, where they regularly host Romy and Michelle themed day, which involves 90s music, DJ requests being written on post-it notes, and scarf
1: folding stations. Okay, so he's a lot more fun <laughs> to give him credit for. Uh, I was <laughs> about they to hire say... somebody
0: who walks around and unfolds all the scarves after a while, so that new people
1: can come in and fold them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I hope uh, Mayor Sorvino and and and. Uh, Lisa Kudrow make appearances every now and then. You just don't know when it's going to happen. They're just going to yeah. crash the party. Um, I was going to say, and not in a way to like diss him at all, but I just, Alan Cumming is one of those actors that I never think about until I see him in a movie. You know what I mean? Like there's, if you ask me to make a list of whatever, Alan Cumming is not going to be part of my mental process. Uh, Maybe he will be now. It's now that I have, because this is, he's kind of a, an important part of this movie, even though he's he doesn't have a big part, but he's an important part. And maybe now I will, I will think of Rome and Michelle, and that will lead me to Alan Cumming. But he's good. I I appreciate the boldness of that dance sequence. I don't know that I enjoy it as much as I was supposed to. We're we're joking about cringe stuff in katrina's Corner, and this is the one thing that I cringed at, and I was like, oh my god, make it stop! <laughs> it's so bad. I understand it's meant to be bad, but. Uh, I guess maybe bad dancing is just is just a little too much for me. Like the, I love the end of Napoleon Dynamite, like that dance sequence. It's it's awkward, but in a way, it's kind of fun. And this was just awkward. It's
0: yeah. awkward in an empowering way in Napoleon Dynamite. This is just like, oh, it's a '90s comedy. Here's the <laughs> obligatory dance sequence. If this movie had come out five to six years later, they would replace the dance sequence with like twenty eight more gay jokes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's true. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think maybe if they had turned out to be good dancers, not great dancers, but just good dancers, uh, that would have... I would have been more comfortable with it. But that's... I get the feeling that's on me, not the movie. And I get the feeling that people that love this movie, like the the people that made it a cult classic, probably adore this end sequence where they just dance in a ridiculous way. But still, just... I gotta be honest, not quite my... My thing, I and and while we're at, I, I mean, I might as well just clear up the the just where I stand in real talk. I do think that the movie has a bit of a confusing ending. It's fine; it's a comedy. It's trying to be funny, so it, you know, I wouldn't take it too seriously. But it is a little weird that the way that everything pans out in the story. It's a little bit of what I said in Contreras corner that I I just wish that they had committed to the message of like, who gives a shit if you don't fit, you know, as long as you're happy. And, uh, and then the movie does that. And then it piles on happy ending after happy ending. Like uh, The fact that they make uh, Billy a drunk that doesn't even know if he's the father of, uh, you know, the, the baby that his wife is expecting. I'm like, it's funny and it's satisfying, but I also think that it's just, uh, uh, it makes their victories a little less impressive when everybody else is already a loser. You know, I think that it, it's a, it's a little more powerful if they win, even though the bad girls are are happy and successful. And yet they still Romeo and Michelle still manage to feel successful. Uh it's a lot easier for them to feel successful when well, the other girls are a mess. Uh, but I also understand it's a comedy, so you know, you want to go with, with something that's a little more crowd pleasing. This is this is me. Now see, I am overthinking it now, Alex. I'm I'm being you back when you were, I don't know, 12, 13.
0: <laughs> I I agree with what you're saying to a a degree, but in a different way. I didn't mind so much like oh, they're successful vis-a-vis the girls that they were that were mean to them are are not successful. But what I said in contrarians' corner is really true. Like I really didn't like that Alan Cumming just showed up and was like, yeah, you were a total dick to me, and I'm just gonna <laughs> save the day and and still be in love with you. It's uh, I believe you would call that character nowadays an incel. <laughs> He's just been pining away for the the hot girl in high school who was mean to him all these years later, except he channeled his energy into something more positive, uh, making rubber for shoes. Yeah.
1: I I tell you, though, like if you bring that up with anybody that loves this movie, and I imagine their thing would be what we just said. You're overthinking it, man. It's a comedy. (laughs) And they would be right. It's it's fine. But if I had to explain why... (laughs) In the end, when we get to ratings, why I rate this movie the way I rate it, uh, that would be one of the one of the reasons. Um, so, Alex, the main event.
0: You know what is so weird? I had this dream where Billy was like in love with me, and I mean, he was in a wheelchair, but still, it's like it's coming true or something.
2: Yeah, Mira Sorvino, hilarious, hot. The t- the two H's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just add Helmsley, and she'd be Triple H. Uh, <laughs> I think that sometimes great performances get lost because people write things off to just, it's a comedy. And obviously this woman was accredited properly for her acting chops. that she had won an Oscar. Um, I've never seen mighty Aphrodite. And I think I need to change that after this, but she's just so funny and on point in her accent in this. And you know, the scene where she has the fake sex where, how unconvincing she is! Is <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm coming. Okay, I gotta go. That whole thing is it's um, of all the things that I definitely you know went over my head when I saw this movie when I was younger. Her performance is is at the top of the list. And again, not to take anything away from Lisa Kudrow because she holds her own in this, but uh is just on a different level. She's killing it.
1: Uh, Yeah, I I did. Like I said, I I watched Mighty Aphrodite. Uh, more than once she's she's really good in it she is uh man if you think her accent in this movie is something wait till you watch her in uh mighty aphrodite because she uh she takes it to another level and she is she's all over that movie i mean she's the she's basically the main character and uh i think that the, it, she's funny and i already knew that she could be funny and uh i also know that she can play dramatic roles like i've seen her in a couple other movies where she's you know playing dramatic roles but the the thing that really caught me by surprise and i don't know why is that is it the, the gear shifting between being really funny and then suddenly being really vulnerable um in some moments the when the bullies are bullying her and i mean that's acting you know she's just being really funny and i'm laughing but then at some point you also can feel the pain and it's uh it's you know like we said it's very relatable and that's I think that that's one of the things that takes us to the next level. And then the other one is just that you have to modulate. And, and Lisa Kudrow does this as well. You have to modulate what we're talking about. That, you know, at, at what point you know, a character can be a little too spaced out to where you just can't connect with them anymore. And here she is kind of airheaded, just like Lisa Kudrow is kind of airheaded. But you, you can still, uh, you know, they touch base with reality often enough that you can you can track you can you can be emotionally connected with them throughout the entire movie so i wanted her to win so badly <laughs> through this movie more so because she seems so much more invested in the, the entire quest than than michelle so i wanted Romy yeah. to like come out on top and, and and she does and uh you know sure alan Cumming like gives her the money gives them the money, but that's, that's fine. You know, if that's what we need, would need to happen. Like I, I was, I guess the real happy ending is just them kind of like walking away before the dance. And that's, that's really like the, the big moment that she gets that. So I was, I was happy. It's a, she's really, really good in this. And like I said, it really rekindled my interest in just the rest of her career. Like I've never seen mimic. I had no interest in seeing mimic, but now I do because, Oh yeah, that's right. She's in it. And you know, she's the, I think she's the lead. So, uh, And I know she's done other stuff. I am now furious now that you've said, uh, you know, the whole thing about Weinstein. I remember now kind of hearing that, but there was was so much information coming out around that time. So many people, you know, telling stories that this kind of like didn't register, I guess, as as much as it should have. Uh, Just to think that we've kind of been deprived of more high profile roles from her. Just because of this. According to
2: what I read, uh, Peter Jackson wanted to cast her in a role that would have been in all three Lord of the Rings, and Weinstein wouldn't do it. Like He was going to pull funding if that was what they were
1: going to do. That is Jesus. insane. Uh, well, <sighs> you know, hopefully we see her. I, mean, I know she's still... It's not like she retired from acting.
0: No, I I believe I checked on Wikipedia. She still has a pretty busy you know, goings-on, she's just been in a lot of lower-budget things because of all of that.
1: Yeah, if there's uh, if there's justice in this world, I mean, we should see her. I, I joked about the MCU. I don't need her in the MCU, but <laughs> I would like to see her in, in more high-profile releases just because we, we need more Mira Sorvino uh, everywhere, I think. Uh, after this movie, I'm just like a true believer. Uh, I-, I guess I was back in the day, and I just forgot. Uh, Stu, your history with Mira Sorvino.
0: Uh, As far as I know, it's this. I looked over her filmography and I don't know that I've seen much else on it. And if I have, it's been so long. I definitely always thought Mimic and Species were the same movie and apparently they aren't. So maybe I'll, I'll seek out Mimic now. And watch it. I don't. I don't know what the difference between them could possibly be. But I will watch the one with Sor, or, or, or Mira Sorvino. Now, <laughs> okay. I will say the best thing I can say uh, to her, and and this is legitimately a compliment, is the first couple times in this movie she opened her mouth. I was like no movie I can't I can't do it with her voice for an hour And a half I'm not going to be able to And then I'm watching this movie and like you Said she becomes sympathetic and she's The better character in this movie and By the end my very last note is By the end of this movie I really did fall in love With Mira Sorvino's voice though (laughs) And now Now I find out that's not her actual Voice and everything she does now I'm kind of sad I'll watch Mimic but if she doesn't Sound like Romy then I'm not gonna like it nearly As much but yeah, no, she's she's the star of this movie. She is the emotional grounding because Lisa Kudrow is playing Michelle as Phoebe and she's always Michelle as Phoebe. Like, she doesn't seem to have those moments you talked about where people are getting to her and she's really feeling any pain. Like, even when she and Romy get into a fight, she seems kind of angry, but that's about as far from Michelle as she gets as just like, oh, snotty and kind of angry about it. Romy goes through, you know... Simple and happy to angry about the way that uh, Michelle doesn't accept what she thinks is her role in the friendship to defeated whenever the the A Squad girls are making fun of her again. She has the much more dynamic character arc of the two of them.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a complete an absolute triumph. I think I now it just if it was if I was rating this movie just for Mirna uh, Sorvino's performance, it would be uh, five stars. But Alas, it's not just her.
2: (laughs) I just, just bringing it home here, I love so much the ending, like, and I mean that literally like the last seconds of the movie, Mm -hmm. like the dialogue exchange, because it's just like, you know, we went on this huge journey with them, but they're like exactly the same as they were at the beginning of the movie. Just, you know, let's fold scarves and then. I think you're the coolest person I know or whatever they say, <laughs> oh me too and then, you know then it just kind of fades to black and the credits roll and it's just like the beginning of it but now they're like successful and you know now they, they, they have fa- a loan <laughs> yeah exactly they they failed upwards you know it's uh yeah a, a great piece of business um Julio I think you said and I would agree it's the my favorite movie so far in the French extravaganza
1: yeah, it, it is it is definitely the so far the highest point in the French Travaganza. I want to say, uh, at least for me, uh, both on the main feed and also on the the after hours B sides that we've been covering. Uh, I, I guess I'll ask you now, Alex. Uh, this or the first Charlie's Angels?
2: Oh boy, I I the first Charlie's Angels. That that's just. I don't consider that, though, in the same thing. As we learned quickly, Matt LeBlanc's in that movie for, like, three minutes. That's, that's so fair. it's not... Yeah. <laughs> As a movie, though... Well, to be fair, Romy and Michelle doesn't have a god-awful sequel, so maybe it
0: wins. <laughs> it does. <laughs> what? It does. Romy and Michelle in the beginning, starring Katherine Heigl and somebody else. What? <laughs> Oh no! I I didn't know that until earlier today when I was scoring this on Letterboxd because it brought up the thing at the bottom where it's like you should also rate, and there it is, Romy and Michelle in the beginning.
1: So so it's a prequel.
0: Yes, yes. Wow, it's about their last year of high school, and it came out in 2005, and stars Katherine Heigl, who still definitely did not look like a high schooler.
1: Who Oh, and play? it was written
0: and directed by
2: Robin Schiff. <laughs>
1: It gets Romy worse. and
2: Michelle in the beginning is a 2005 television film and backdoor pilot starring Katherine Heigl as Romy and Alexandra Breckenridge as Michelle with a special appearance by Paula Abdul. It is a prequel to the 1997 film Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. Good God. For years, Romeo and Michelle had been dreaming to move to L.A. and become rich and famous, but they decided to put the move on hold while they save money. Three years have passed, and they've only managed to save $68, only $8 more than they had in high school. Despite their lack of money, they decide to go ahead with their plans to move to L.A. after seeing Pretty Woman. As the girls arrive in L.A., they decide to become prostitutes but chicken out at the first encounter oh, with a client. <laughs> As they walk home, a man lends them a dollar for a vending machine, and Romy and Michelle are arrested for prostitution. Good <laughs> God Almighty. Oh, so keep in mind what I just read you. <laughs> the network that aired this, ABC Family. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's
2: terrible. So it does have a god awful sequel. Nate Faxon's in it. Academy Award winner, Nate Faxon's in it. Good Lord.
1: Does it play Alan Cumming?
2: He plays someone named Chad. No, I'm looking at the character names here. I don't see anyone that was supposed to have been uh, from the previous. Anyway, so, well, thank God we have Stu here to call that out for us. So (laughs) thank
0: God for Letterboxd showing it to me earlier, because I'd never heard of that before.
1: Thank you, Stu, for tarnishing the legacy of uh, Romeo and Michelle in our minds now.
0: (laughs) They couldn't just leave well enough alone, even with Romeo and Michelle. And how perfect is this? We're... You know, just
2: uh, four days away. It was May 30th of 2005. So we're about to be on the 17th anniversary of <laughs> Romeo and Michelle in the beginning. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, Charlie's Angels probably takes it uh, for my favorite movie we've done so far in this. But this is great. This will definitely um, be added to the collection at some point. All right. So moving into our uh, our grades. Now, Stu, I grade on a letter grade scale. Julio does the star ratings. um Feel free to rank this film however you please. I will start off by giving this. I think I'm going to go ahead and give it a B minus. I gave it three and a half stars in my letterbox review. Uh, And, you know, a lot of the aspects of it are that of a C movie, but the performances and, like, the laughs that are good are fucking great. So I'll just go ahead and give this a B minus. Uh, Stu, we'll, we'll sandwich you in this contrarian's uh, hoagie here. What's uh what's your ranking? <laughs>
0: uh, I typically do out of 10 on my show, so I'll bring that in here. I'll give this a 6.5. I really enjoyed it. Like you said, when it made me laugh, it made me laugh really good. And a lot of the writing is bad. I mean, you could show this movie in a film class on how to pad your movie when you have nothing else to say, because like <laughs> that whole dream sequence and the fight they have in the car, like boy, you didn't need any of that. That's 25 minutes that you could have cut out of an hour and 28 minute movie but yeah uh the performances are great i love seeing alan coming in anything and it like i said it just made me laugh and it it's a really feel good heartfelt movie so yeah six and a half out of ten
1: uh yeah i like i said this is definitely a five star performance from uh, mira sorvino in what i'm gonna land it's a 3.5 three and a half star movie um Yes, the the flashback it goes on for too long and uh the ending is not as powerful as I would have wished for these characters. Yes, it's a comedy, sure. I'm overthinking it, but that's it, it is what it is. That's you know what, if you make these characters, especially you give me that Mira Sorvino performance, then I want her to really just smash yeah. it at the end and and I don't think that the ending did her as much justice as, as I would have liked. So 3.5 for me. I do like Alex. You're right that that final shot, it really underscores that they didn't change and that they didn't need to change. And that I, I really like because most movies, I mean, we're trained to just expect most movies to be about a character's journey and a character changing. But in their case, it was more about them kind of learning that they didn't need to change. And yes, it's a little convenient that the the world around them changed <laughs> So that they would get to a happy ending, but I still appreciate the the just the the commitment to like. Well, we like these girls, we like these these women, these these characters, and they they're fine the way they are. And so, yeah, I I land a three point five. I really wanted it to be a four, but I, I got to be honest. I mean, the I can't just let my love for the uh, Mira Sorvino performance sway me that much. Three point five is still really good, and like I said, the uh, yeah, yeah. high point of the French Travaganza.
2: It's, uh, yeah, like you're saying about the ending and it's convenient. Everything was structured for that. You know, I love Grease, but I'll take this ending 11 times out of 10 versus Grease's. Change everything about yourself and then people will like you ending. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That is Romeo Michelle's high school reunion. Uh, Julio, what's on next for the French Stravaganza?
1: So the French Stravaganza takes its second break as we go into a bonus episode demanded by patrons, uh, specifically patron Paul from Film Busters, who wants us to do the movie Drop Dead Fred at 11%. It's a rotten movie. Um, the last movie that Paul picked for us was a very fresh movie that we didn't care for, uh, Dead Alive. And now another dead movie, but this time it's rotten. Maybe he's hoping that we'll like it. I don't know.
2: Perfect. All right, Stu. You know you already explained who you are. This is your time. You got the floor. Where can we find you? Give us. We'll be sure to plug it in the episode description. But any and all uh, social media accounts, websites, anything like that, where can uh, where can the people find you?
0: Uh, so on Twitter, it is at SWO Productions. The podcast itself is on pretty much all the podcast players that you use, uh, Stew World Order. And I have a website, which is SWOProductions.com, where we have new articles every weekday. Uh, starting in this month, in June, we are going to start doing some fiction stuff. There's another guy who writes for my site who's done a bunch of articles. He and I are both going to start posting some uh, fiction chapter by chapter stuff. So look forward to that. And it's my site. I can do whatever I want. After 2 years, if I'm going to be like, "Ah, enough lists and articles. I'm just going to write crap."
1: Is this is this fan fiction or original no, fiction? No,
0: it, it's an original fiction, yes.
1: Okay. I mean, I would read it either way, but yeah. I, I just you know. I
0: don't want to get sued by anybody. So, if it's just original <laughs> stuff for now. That sounds
1: that sounds great because I need more Stu content to go through. Thank <laughs> you.
2: All right, listeners, now you know where to find Stu. Stu. Thank you for being with us. Uh, Now we're going to move into our perennial plugs. Take us out of here. We start off by giving a thanks to the Festive Years, who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all Festive Years needs.
1: Our friend and fellow podcaster, Hans roth he's the man behind our logo, behind all the graphics on our webpage, our Patreon page, our merch page. Very talented guy. He's not only an artist, but he's also a podcaster. He has two podcasts, Nacion Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. And he writes books, novels. I heard that he also invented post-its. If you want to find out if that's true, check out his website, mildemonios.pe, M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S.pe. Or you can ask him directly on Twitter at Mildemonios or email him mildemonios at hotmail.com. Hans, thank you for all your support.
2: And we thank the support of Miss Zoe Perez, who is our social media czar. If you're on Facebook and you haven't already, be sure to give us a follow, uh, facebook.com slash Prime. There you'll find some exclusive videos previewing upcoming episodes of ours. Material that you may not even hear here on the, the mainstream, the podcast. Zoe puts those together and posts them on her Facebook account. Much like on Instagram, at Prime. Give us a follow there. Zoe will post uh images previewing upcoming episodes interactive graphics audio clips video clips all that good stuff be sure to check it out and like us be sure to thank zoe for the work she does and that concludes this episode this stop on the Friends stravaganza one more time Stu. thank you for being here yeah thank
0: you so much for having me love you guys super super excited to be on
1: long time coming
0: absolutely and we're so happy to have you and uh so happy to have you, our
2: listeners, as that does it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. And we'll catch you
0: next time.